it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Ha. This sound like theme music. Motivation to grind and get you through it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Check the score. Jamel show improving. Trophy. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. bit of housekeeping before I get into the word of the week. As you all know, the Unbothered Podcast Network officially launched last month. Yay! The first two podcasts on the network are The Black Girl Bravado and Sanctified. Now, I created this network in collaboration with Spotify with the sole intention of centering black women. Our stories, our experiences, our vulnerabilities, our passions. I wanted a network that explored the full scope of who black women are. Not that I got it figured out, but I wanted to at least explore it. The Black Girl Bravado and Sanctified are truly exceptional podcasts. So support them. Follow them on Spotify. Check out some of their critical conversations on the Unbothered Network Instagram and YouTube pages and listen to these episodes. It is really, really fantastic conversations. Uh, If you don't like what you hear, leave a complaint in the complaint box. I'm bullshitting. I don't even have one of those. And if y'all don't like it, that's your problem. Now, let's get into it. The word of the week is dangerous. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. Yeah. Now, it surfaced recently that former President Donald Trump, who plans to run again as he continues his unofficial quest to completely destroy the Republican Party, which I could care less about because I hope they all burned to the ground, Uh, not the people, but the party. But Trump recently had a very interesting dinner companion. Well, two dinner companions. Trump had dinner with Kanye West and a fellow named Nick Fuentes. Now, according to reports, Kanye was the one who brought Fuentes, his new buddy, to dinner. But common sense will tell you that he didn't just pop up with Nick Fuentes. Uh, Normally, I would give less than a fuck about who Donald Trump chooses to entertain. But this is much different, especially in light of Trump's announcement that he is running for president. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with Nick Fuentes, here's what you need to know. He's a 24-year-old racist dipshit who has made white supremacy and bigotry his complete brand. He left Boston University after he attended that KKK rally in Charlottesville in 2017, where neo-Nazis barreled through the city of Charlottesville, chanting shit like the Jews will not replace us. Uh, Once fellow students found out that Fuentes was not only there, but participating and participating on the very wrong side, he started receiving threats and then decided to leave school altogether. Now, he has since become a podcaster, the preferred platform of all racist incels, it seems. He also organized his own political conference, which was attended by Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of the leading idiots in the Republican Party. Now, the reason Trump having dinner with Fuentes matters is because this is who Nick Fuentes is. We stand for real human beings, truly. But we also stand for whites. Anyway, anyway, so that's sort of an aside, but it is a little bit funny. This comes from Bannon. This is Getter. Getter is run by Bannon. And Bannon is the fat retard that goes on these shows and says, we're going to have African Americans voting 50% for Republicans, and we're going to flood the zone with nigger votes. I mean, that's like, literally, he goes on these shows and says that. That one slipped out. You did not mishear that. 
He actually had the nerve to say oops as if he has not said this word a million times and doesn't use it in regular conversation. That clip in which Fuentes was referring to Trump strategist Steve Bannon proclaiming that they were specifically going after black men in hopes they would align themselves with the Republican Party so they can siphon off the black vote. Because Steve Bannon knows black women generally ain't playing that shit. Over 90 percent of black women have voted for Democrats. It's slightly less, though still well in the majority for black men. But they know it's a little bit more room there compared to some of the other vile nonsense that Fuentes has said on his podcast. That was actually tame. He's also said that instead of building tangible infrastructures and providing resources in black communities, the federal government should just use the military to steamroll through black neighborhoods and arrest and jail as many black people as possible, since black people will never align with his views, which he considers to be mainstream white values. And he's very clear about that terminology. So. In his mind, let's just let the military terrorize black neighborhoods at will. He's also said awful, reprehensible things about Jews and women, including that men should reserve the right to physically harm and punish women for stepping out of their place. He is truly a repugnant maggot. While I normally don't like to give oxygen to these kinds of people, it's important that we understand why voting and building political power is critical in this country. Nick Fuentes is now advising Kanye West. So if you're still holding out hope, the old Kanye will return. If you're still out there throwing down a cape for Kanye West, then you just want to be a fan and you don't give a fuck about the harm he's causing. He doesn't deserve the community's protection. He's fully turned his back on the same community that made him a star. And any further support of this man is just enabling an asshole. Fuck Kanye West. I can't be clear about that. Trump, of course, is now acting like he is blind and dumb when it comes to Fuentes. A lot of people are saying that Trump was set up in his ramblings on his version of conservative AOL messenger, True Social. He said he didn't know anything about Fuentes. A funny thing, though, now that Trump is aware of who Fuentes is and what he stands for, he still hasn't denounced any of Fuentes's horrible beliefs. If it's one thing we know about Donald Trump, he really, really struggles to denounce and condemn white supremacy. He never denounced David Duke, who publicly supported him. He never denounced the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville. He has never denounced the blatant bigotry of two of his top advisors, Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller. Trump is team white supremacy. So I understand why Nick Fuentes believed he could be an influence and had a ready audience in the former president. Since the president has shown, he also would like to quarterback that same team of white supremacy. But despite the fact that Fuentes is a top five stupid human being, and he's not five, by the way, the Republican Party has allowed this utter shithead to have influence on their party. Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke at that conference. Congressman Paul Gosser, who represents Arizona's fourth congressional district, is a big fan of Fuentes and has even had a few dinners with him. It says everything about the Republican Party and the conservative movement that they see Fuentes as acceptable alignment. And that's what makes him dangerous. The word of the week. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. And now on to today's show. My guest today had a huge, and I do mean huge, impact on a lot of people's childhoods. He was one half of a duo that was one of the most iconic shows for young adults in history and became one of the biggest stars in Nickelodeon history as well. His journey since the height of his stardom has been compelling, heartfelt, full of ups and downs, but through the most trying times, he has uncovered a path that led him to youth ministry, among other things. 
Yes, he's still acting, still performing, which includes doing some stand-up comedy, but he's also authored the book, Bless Mode, 90 Days to Level Up Your Faith, which is filled with some wonderful life lessons and positive affirmations. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Kale Mitchell. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Kel, you may be the most perfect person to ask or to answer rather this question that I ask every single guest that appears on the podcast. And that is because in your book, Bless Mode, you actually have a chapter named after this question or the root word in this question. So the question that I ask every single guest who appears on Jamel Hill is Unbothered is when did you become unbothered? Ooh, <laughs> when I decided that I wanted to always keep my peace no matter what. And that's when I decided to become unbothered because I'm the type of person that always wants to fix things. You know what I mean? Like, let me let me fix this. Let me fix this situation. And what that was doing was, was putting a weight on me and a stress on me and anxiety on me that I didn't need. And I was being pulled uh, by others, whatever that negative situation might be. Uh, and so I had to really go like, you know what? The Lord has the victory already. I got the victory through him. So I'm going to be all right. And no matter what, I'm going to keep my peace no matter what I'm going through. So, yeah, I decided not to be uh, bothered. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in that chapter, you probably give the most accurate description of being unbothered. And because I'm often when I ask people that question, a lot of people always say, well, what do you mean by that? And you gave a very robust definition in in your book about what it means. So if you don't mind, why don't you explain what unbothered means to you? Being unbothered is really, you know, saying like, look, I'm going to go to the Lord with everything that I'm going through. You know what I mean? Like I want to go to him to find my peace, to not be, you know, pulled into any type of negativity because I deal with, uh, you know, negativity and being frustrated brings a lot of pain and brings a lot of hurt. So, you know, I want to make sure that I am not bothered by keeping my peace. A lot of people might see your spirituality as something that was new to you, but it actually isn't. Like your grandfather was a pastor. Is that correct? Yeah. My grandfather was a pastor. I grew up in the church. (laughs) Yeah. So explain maybe what church meant to you then or your connection to God. I won't just put it on an institution of church, but explain maybe how your relationship with God has evolved since then. Oh, wow. I grew up in a church, meaning that, you know, my mom made sure that we were there. I saw prayer working. Um, I saw 
individuals within growing up in the South Side of Chicago, praying for others, praying within the Holy Spirit, um, singing praises to God. But then there's a difference between knowing God and having a relationship with God. And I feel like each child, even when they grow up in the church, they have to find their connection with the Lord on their own, you know, not just through their parents. They have to find that uh, faith, you know, on their own. And sometimes that journey can be rough. You know what I mean? And so we have to find it ourselves because there's a knowing of Christ. And then there's also having a relationship, meaning that he's in everything that you do, you know, and I had to go through that process. And and now you are a, a pastor, a youth pastor. I am. Yeah. So there's one thing to develop a deeper connection with God. It's another thing to then be led to preach. So what would you say led you to take a more aggressive role in your faith journey? <laughs> Well, let's get to it. Like, okay, so here's what's, here's what's deep. Like a lot of times when I do these, you know, podcasts and different things like that, I've been in this business for so long. Uh, and I, you know, I'm blessed to still look young, but people think like when I'm talking about certain things about my faith that, oh, this was like last year or two years ago. No, no, no. In 1997, I want to say between 1997 through 2005, I went through some real spiritual warfare, you know, and it was a lot of, you know, toxic people, toxic relationships and things that I was around. And I wanted to be free from that brokenness. I wanted to be free from uh, stress, anxiety, toxic people. And I asked a prayer at that time. I just said, hey, you know, Lord, whatever is not of you, I don't want it. That was in 2005 when I did that prayer. And then from there, 2005 to 2008 was the grooming process, my faith grooming process of me discovering freedom. And within that, uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I had to really find that, meaning that I needed to be in his presence daily. You know what I mean? I need to have his likeness. And for me to be able to do that, I had to put him in everything in my life and everything a part of me. And at the start of around 2005, 2008, God just became everything in my life. Certain friendships I let go of, uh, a lot of things that I had to let go of 2005. Uh, I got a divorce, uh, I filed for divorce, uh, a whole bunch of things that I just let go of and habits and things that I just had to change. And I wanted to live for the spirit at that point. And I met different evangelists that prayed over me, that showed me uh, this spiritual realm and demonicness and things that are going on <laughs> within this world. And in 2008, 2012, I really grew spiritually uh, in my faith. I started to develop my faith in life. I really started to see my my faithfulness uh, in him and my prayers starting to work from those prayers that I did way back in uh, 2005. And I told God, I said, look, your will, not mine. I don't want to slip back into not knowing you. So around 2010, I started speaking at different churches. I started speaking at uh, youth groups, juvie homes. I was just telling my story. I work with, uh, you know, Black Carson Chambers. I work with uh, Martin Luther King organization, uh, the commission. I was speaking at churches, working with gospel artists, directing music videos uh, with artists. I also met my beautiful wife during this time. Uh, we were friends at this point. Uh, we started a live competition show in Compton, California uh, that was given back to kids. And we would pray with the kids in the beginning of it. And then in 2012, we got married. I married my beautiful wife. Yeah. And I remember in 2014, I was asked to speak at an event in Arkansas and I was already speaking anyway, but I was speaking at this church for them to, it was Martin Luther King weekend. 
And I remember the pastor called my role manager and said, hey, can Kel speak Sunday morning in the pulpit? And I was like, hey, yo, wait a minute now. Because, you know, I grew up Baptist, so I know how important that is. Like, you know, you doing Sunday service, right? And so I was like, ugh. And I said, but I've been on this this journey. And I said, your will, not mine. And I remember, I think Drake was on SNL that day at the hotel. i never forget this day. I had my Bible open. I had everything open. I watched my boy Keenan on there. Uh, and I'm going through the word of God and getting ready for this sermon because I only had you know, the speech that I was doing later that night, not for Sunday. And I got it together. The Lord gave me a word to say. And that Sunday morning I preached. And then what started to happen within the spiritual realm was that it was this uh, weight that I started to carry. I had been carrying the weight of stress, you know, years ago that I let go of and I learned to let go of and God helped me let go of. But now I was carrying this weight that was the cross. You know what I mean? I was like, yo, I want to do that. I want to let other people know how to be free from uh, certain things in your life. I want to let people know about his love. And I decided to just continue to work within the church. I didn't say at that point, oh, I want to preach. You know what I mean? I just started to work even heavier with my pastor and working with him. Uh, I was doing plays uh, at the church. I became a stage manager at the church, helps ministry cleaning up at the church, whatever needed to be done. And I remember in uh, 2018, I had a conversation with my pastor about preaching because it was just so on me uh, in my times of meditating uh, with Christ. And uh, he said, man, when you and your wife came here, when you all were dating, like in 2010, the Lord told me that you would be preaching. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) he said, but the Lord needed to work on you and have you be ready to be able to do it. And um, in 2018, I started to, you know, preach there. And in 2019, we just made it official as far as me being a licensed pastor. But I I broke all that down because I want people to really understand, like, this has been a journey since 2005 all the way to now. This wasn't like just something new, like, hey, I'm going to preach. So uh, it's definitely a faith. I always tell people a faith journey, a spiritual growth that needed to happen. Now, based off everything that I read, and obviously you'll you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but you specifically wanted to pastor to young people. Yeah, that was your focus. Is that correct? Why was this your area of focus? This was my area of focus because um, I had seen, you know, with me being young, growing up on the you know the south side of Chicago, and I had the church. But then I also had, you know, friends that were on up and up. And then I also had friends that were into gang violence and things like that. And I lost a lot of friends, uh, uh, you know, growing up that, you know, are dead in a box or in jail. So um, and then I had friends that weren't up and up. And so me and my friends, we kind of talk about that journey uh, with the youth and me working on Nickelodeon after that as well with working with so many youth. Me and my wife uh, later working with youth within the community and me speaking to so many young men and young women uh, about the things that they deal with in life. And even now, the things that they're the pressures that they deal with and me remembering the things that I dealt with and keeping my faith through it all. uh, I was like, yo, I need to really speak to the youth, you know, and when they see me, if they see me on Nickelodeon and they see Good Burger uh, and they look me up and see that, oh, he loves the Lord. He has his faith. Uh, I can do this too. And that's the thing about me. When I look back and I look back on my journey, the things that I had to go through uh, and the ups and downs that I went through, it's like, yo, I had to go through that so it could be a testimony. So that way I can tell them I went through it too. 
So when I'm preaching, it's literally like, yo, I went through that. Don't go through that door. That ain't the door you want to go through. Don't make that choice. I made that choice. I did those things. And I can really relate to the youth in that way. And it's important to me. You know, the youth is our our future. So with that background, uh, I feel like you are, again, really qualified to answer this question. So I looked up some statistics uh, before our recording. And these stats are about what church going looks like for Gen Z right now. So three and 10 who identify as, as Gen Z, which is 18 to 23. And these are, we're talking about black Gen Zers, just to be even more specific, attend religious services at a black congregation. Now, baby boomers, which are ages 56 to 74, that's that percentage is half. Half of black baby boomers go to church. And there very clearly is a disconnect. And when you read all the polling and the data, it shows that younger people are sort of really distancing themselves from church. You grew up in the church. I grew up in the church as well. So this is very much counter to how we grew up. Why do you feel like there is such a disconnect with young people and the church? I I think it's a thing of where different leaders, you know, and this is not pointed any churches or anything like that. I'm just kind of looking at uh, through my experience is that you have to make the teens and the youth uh, feel a part of the church. So you can't make them feel as if, you know, y'all just here because your parents are here. And so we just got this room for y'all and we're going to speak to (laughs) y'all. And that's what it is. No, actually give them give them tasks. Let them help within helps ministry. Uh, Let them be a part of social media. Ask them questions about, you know, what they want to do on Youth Sundays. Uh, Really include them in so they don't feel like. This is like how school is where I'm just, I go, I come back, I go, oh, I'm forced to go. This is a thing of, I want you to come. I want you to invite your friends. Uh, And then also too, with with social media and then even with the the pandemic, with what went down, a lot of people are now even staying at home more because it's like, well, I could, you know, watch it online. You know what I mean? That type of way. And so there's a thing of now the church is, you know, really saying, hey, come on back, come on back. And so it's very important that we let them know we want them back. We uh, have uh, events and things for them to do that they feel a part of and actually sit them down and make them feel like, oh, you're a part of this being an ambassador uh, for Christ. And what we saw uh, a lot too as well was that, you know, speaking to them individually, I would, you know, speak to them individually. Uh, I would have, you know, uh, conversations with them, let them questions. Um, I'm always constantly saying, hey, what, what things you think we could do or improve within the church, you know? And I really feel like that that is the thing that needs to happen and will bring them, bring them back. And then the other thing about that is, is that it's also a choice. So we can't be too hard on ourselves, uh, you know, as, as youth leaders and as pastors, because the thing about it is, is that it is a choice. It's a faith walk. It's a, it's a choice. And, and prayer works, praying people through that they make the choice to come and they make the choice to even pray every day and also to meet people where they're at. Now, I had a lot of people that, you know, outside of the church that would pray for me and speak to me. And, you know, I say that to uh, my youth that are, you know, coming consistently. I say, look, take this to church. This is not just, I mean, take this to school in the hallways, everywhere you go. This is not just on Sunday. This is a daily conversation that you need to have with God and then have with others. And when you feel compelled to speak to others or pray with them, do it. Because you never know what somebody might be going through and who's watching. And so with me, even on my social media, 
or even when I'm at work, I don't separate it. I don't go, okay, this has killed the pastor. Okay, now I'm about to be killed the actor. Okay, this is killed this, and this is now I'm about to be killed this. No, it's an end. This is along with it. I'm this, in that, in that, all together every day. So even on my social media, you see me, you know, uh, talking about, uh, you know, therapy and Jesus and love and, you know, finding gratitude and everything and helping others uh, in my faith. And you'll see that all through my, my Instagram, YouTube, social media. And it's beautiful because it's been people, youth that are in Africa, youth that are in the UK that hit back and be like, man, I seen you on Good Burger, but then I just watched you on YouTube do this sermon and it changed my life. And they became members where they're at and they watch us online. And then I've had people that actually come to the church because of something they saw on social media, not something that I did at the church. And so uh, it's all ministry. I think that's what we have to look at. There's always ministry, everything. Well, I just remember as a former young person, and, and maybe you can relate, is that when I went to church, I feel like all I did was get a list of things I wasn't supposed to do. That was like literally it. Like, you can't do this. Don't do this. Don't think about this. Don't do this. And I'm like, you know what? This is a lot. <laughs> so how do you feel that the um, message or how do you feel in what ways does the message need to evolve, particularly to reach young people? Because listen, these young people don't know. They already got a good. They can go to church wearing jeans. That was like <laughs> never a reality. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I was like, what? Y'all get to wear whatever y'all want to wear to church? Like y'all already got a good just because of that. But Real talk. just in, in what in what ways do you feel as if the message needs to evolve for to, to reach this particular group? You have to be transparent. You have to not shut off the past mistakes before you became uh, a all, all-time believer. And I think that's the thing, because teens can really sniff that out. You know what I mean? So the thing about it is, is that you have to say those things. You know, one thing that gravitated me towards uh, my pastor is that he spoke about the times before he started saying, hey, I'm making God the head of my life and everything I do. He spoke about the times where he used to smoke and he was in the weed and the decisions he made and the mistakes he's made and all these different things. But now how he is uh, adding his faith and he's changed his life around. And for me, I do the same thing. You know what I mean? Because I don't want them to feel judged in the word of God. I mean, in the Bible, when you read the stories, it's all about people that have made mistakes have learned from their mistakes, have uh, had to stay unbothered, had to uh, stay with consistency of saying, hey, I'm going to let Lord the Lord lead me. But then they might have hit their head along the way, but then they learned through it. And all these stories are in the Bible. Why should that change now? You need to tell people that and let them know that God still loves you. I've had um, you know teens come and say, or well, didn't come because they told me like, yo, Kel, I want to come through. But, you know, all the stuff that I'm doing right now, bro, I don't know if the Lord would want me to come there. He, you know, you know the stuff that I've done? And I'm like, no, the Lord has always been with you. You know, he's there when you're in the ups, in the downs, and even in that dark place, he's there. You just need to put your eyes on him. And so the thing is, is that he's not judging you. I want you to come. I want you to be there and be forgiven and come through. And a lot of times it's just like they need to hear that instead of like the you do this, do this, like you were talking about earlier. You alluded to this um, earlier in our conversation about the period of spiritual warfare that you went through. And I want to go back to that block of time between 2005 and 2008, because I know you went through 
a difficult stretch there, uh, particularly in 2006, where you found yourself on the balcony of a hotel in Canada. Uh, what happened that day? And, you know, how has it, I guess, forever changed you? That was actually 2005. And that was shooting uh, Like Mike 2. And remember, I said in 1997 through 2005, I was going through, you know, some really dark <laughs> areas in my life. And so at that point, I wanted to hit it off button. I really wanted to hit at 2005. I felt like I don't want to live here <laughs> anymore. And I wanted to commit suicide. So I was at the top of that, you know, balcony at the Sutton Hotel. And what it was, was that I had took frustration of life and all these things that were going on and not expressing it to anybody. You know what I mean? Because I was this entertainer, I was this teenager, and then I was being, uh, you know, misled by people, hurt by people, mistakes I made, all these different things. And I just was like, yo, this would be the best, you know, thing to do at this point. But when I was up there at that time, I was saying, you know, something spoke to me and, you know, I didn't jump. And I locked myself in the bathroom. But what it really was, it was the Lord speaking to my spirit at that moment. And I locked myself in that bathroom and I said, Kel, you need to, you need some things you need to look at in your life, habits you need to look at in your life, people that needs to, you know, go in your life, all these different things. And that's when I made the choice to start a change. It didn't start perfect at that point. That's when I tell people that's the faith adventure. This is an adventure that we're on and it's going to take faith. It's going to take consistency. It's going to take you seeking his face, uh, you becoming a mirror of God's reflection. And that takes time because, you know, it takes a lot of time to be groomed, to be able to do that. And uh, that was the start of that. But then now you look, you look now with me being able to speak to my fellow actors and people that are in the entertainment business that wanted that are contemplating suicide or, you know, contemplating that because I see it all the time. And the thing about it is to be able to speak to them now in such a real way and say that I've been there and I know what you're going through and you can get through this process uh, because it's hard when you can't trust others. They only see the you this on television and they don't really understand what you're really going through. It's a lot. And then whatever you might be dealing with, just, you know, on the surface, whatever it may be. So for me, I'm at a point in my life now where it's all about God and me reaching others. And I would be doing a disservice if I didn't tell them um, about the love of God and giving them that, him giving them that grace where I don't care anymore. Because people are kind of like, man, you, you be on set and you be talking about Jesus and you be on these podcasts, you be on these shows, you be in these hallways. And a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm going to lose my job if I talk about Jesus. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to do At the end of the day, man, he was there for me. When other people weren't, when these jobs weren't, when these things weren't, he was there. So uh, I am all a part of God and I'm never letting go of that. You know, I don't want to slip back into that darkness. I found light. That's where I'm staying. Yeah, I know that especially because of the the type of actor that you were, you know, for a lot of people's childhoods, you know, always happy, always funny, you know, always making people laugh. And you've heard comedians talk about like there's a there's more darkness behind that than people really know and expect. So for you, what was it like for you trying to navigate between this character that people saw and the real you like did you when you were in social settings or, you know, in your private time, did you always feel the need to be 
you know, kale from all that or kale from Good Burger? Yeah, it's it's a thing because, you know, people uh, assume that that's what you are. You know what I mean? Immediately because they they feel like they know you because, you know, they've grown up with you. They're watching you on TV and they feel like that's who you are. And back then, you know, you really didn't have social media. So when you meet somebody in person, it's only based off what you saw on, on TV. And then if they, you know, approach you in a different way, it's like, whoa, hey, that person is not, not what I thought. Um, for me, of course, it was a thing of, yeah, I got to be on. I, I got to be on. I got to be this character. But then I got to a point as I was adulting, you know, through uh, life in the public eye, where it was a thing of the things that I was dealing with, it was hard to juggle both. You know what I mean? And it was literally like, I'm just going to be myself within this. And what was that though? And see, and that's the, that's the key. What, what, what is that? What, who are you, Kim? You know, who, who, who really are you? And that's when I had to go on my spiritual journey to find myself because uh, people that I attracted, things that I was doing around that time, I wasn't being my authentic self who God designed me to be. And so that was the issue. And so when I decided to finally find that, and that's even outside of entertainment, you know, everybody is looking for, for purpose. Everybody's looking for why am I here? And we all are born for a reason and are born for a purpose. And so the thing about it is that, you know, for me, finding that and discovering that was me going through my journey and me being closer uh, to God. That's what helped. So even when we, me and Keenan brought all that back with the reboot of all that, I told the kids something that I wish was told to me when the show came back. I said, hey, look, this is not the thing that makes you special. This show is not the thing that makes you special. What makes you special was that you were born in the womb. You were special when you were designed by God in your mother's womb. And this is just one part of your life. This is a job. That's all this is. This is a job. There's going to be other jobs. There's going to be other parts of your journey. When this job is done, there's going to be another part of your life in your journey. Well, I appreciate you breaking it down that way. Um, I have so much more I want to ask you about. Definitely want to ask you about the possibility of Good Burger 2 and some other projects that you have going on. But for now, we'll just take a very quick break and we'll be right back with more from Kel Mitchell. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Recently, I was a guest on That's What She Said. Uh, That's a podcast which is hosted by my friend and former ESPN colleague, Sarah Spain. It was a bittersweet appearance because it officially was Sarah's last podcast episode. It was her way of bringing things full circle since I was her very first guest and it concluded with me being her last. Wish Sarah all the best. I have a feeling she'll be back in these podcast streets soon. And if you can, check out the episode. Anyway, one of the questions that Sarah asked her guests is to tell their most embarrassing story. The story I told was a story I believe to be my most embarrassing story 
It was about why me and my husband now use the code word Alaska to indicate when one of us has to go to the bathroom really bad. And by really bad, you know the type of bathroom trip I mean. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that may not be my most embarrassing story. So I got a story to tell about the story that maybe I should have told Sarah on her podcast. Let me channel my inner Sophia from Golden Girls. Picture it. San Antonio, Texas, late 90s, early 2000s. I was visiting my girl DJ who serves in the Air Force and was stationed there at the time. You know, at that point, she had only been in the Air Force maybe four or five years. We made plans to hit downtown San Antonio to check out this dope drag queen show that she told me that her and her friends had gone to before a few times. And it was really a lot of fun. I'd never been to a drag queen show, so I was ready to hang to see how they do it in San Antonio. So I was completely down. I'm always in it for the story or the experience. Now, DJ is not a drinker at all. So, of course, she drove. It was me and I think two of her friends. Now, minus DJ, we started pre-gaming beforehand, as any good citizen would. So by the time we got to the show, we were pleasantly buzzed. Now, I don't know whose idea it was, and I can guarantee it was not mine. But somebody suggested we start doing shots of Crown Royal and have a Crown Royal shot drinking contest. Now, at this stage in my drinking career, I wasn't really drinking shit like that. I'd had Hennessy on occasion, but I wasn't really a strong brown liquor drinker. I think I may have had some Crown and Coke before, but it wasn't like my drink drink. But you ain't never got to threaten me with a good time. So I said, let's go. Because this was supposed to be, again, some type of contest. And real quick, let me just give you a short PSA. If anybody ever challenges you to a drinking contest, your immediate response should be, hell fuck no. I have never heard a good ending on a drinking contest story. Maybe there is one, but I ain't heard nary a one. So we started doing shots of Crown, and these shots were not human shots. These shots were for perhaps professional wrestlers. They were easy two-finger pours, or so I think. I downed the first two shots, no problem. We get to round three, and after I took that third one, my stomach said, Something just didn't hit right, curl not quite right, and I knew in that moment I was going to vomit. So I excused myself very graciously, but quickly. And once I was a little bit away from the table where we were sitting, I picked up speed because I felt that vomit coming fast. Now, I made it within a couple feet of the bathroom and then boom, I ran right into either one of the performers or just someone who came there dressed in drag for the occasion. I never saw them because I was so focused on making it to the bathroom. But something about that bump. It jarred my whole ecological system. And before I could stop it, vomit was pouring out of my mouth and flying everywhere, especially all over the person I had just accidentally bumped into. Now, you can imagine how this person reacted, which is to say, not well, started cussing me out almost immediately. And I can't say I blame them. I kept apologizing profusely. And also somehow I didn't get a lick of vomit on myself, just on them and the floor, which probably made them angrier. Now. I'll apologize once, twice even, three times maybe. But at some point, ain't going to be too many more bitches. And they called me one more than I was willing to excuse. And next thing I know, I'm cussing them out right back and we on the full on back and forth. Now, my girls see the commotion and they come running over to see what was going on. And the person I was in confrontation with angrily told them what happened. 
Now, at this point, I'm just going off. And then I was invited to step outside. This is when I totally sobered up. Am I really trying to fight right now? This is what I'm thinking. I'm at a size disadvantage. Definitely not trying to get my girl who's in the Air Force in trouble because this wouldn't reflect well on her. Her other two girls were definitely down for some goon behavior, but mm, I can't sink the whole ship. So I decided I had only one choice. I got to play the hold me back game. Now, what does that mean? It means I got to act like I'm a fight, even though I'm not fighting. So I said, fuck it. Let's step outside then. Now, as we're walking outside, I'm talking hella shit, big shit. I even whipped off my shirt. So I'm walking outside with just a bra on with vomit, probably still crusted somewhere on my lips, shouting bitches and motherfuckers like I'm getting paid a dollar each time I say it. But it worked. At some point, security got in between the whole affair, told us to get away from the club. And as soon as we got a little distance from the club, I just calmly put my shirt right back on. And let me tell you, we laughed about that shit all the way back to base. My girl was like, Jay, how are you going to fight with no shirt on? I said, shit, I wasn't. I just had to look like I was. And now back to more with Kale Mitchell. You know, I'm glad that you've been just so open and honest and candid about your faith walk. But another thing that you talk a lot about is also therapy. You know, I know there are some people, especially in church circles, who feel like, if you have Jesus, you don't need therapy. But you you talk about both. Why was it important for you to also be open about sort of the therapy component? My mom is a retired teacher. My dad is a, a retired uh, psychologist. And so uh, for me, you know, being around therapists and psychologists and things of that nature, uh, it's very important to uh, speak your mind. And for me, all of them, you know, all of them that I saw were believers. And so uh, God can use uh, a doctor. He can use a therapist. It's just important for you to have a conversation with your therapist first to see, you know, what they believe in. And I think it's very important. Uh, I was speaking to my therapist yesterday. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And so uh, I'm all about uh, Jesus in therapy. You know what I mean? And she's, it was beautiful. It was like, uh, she got off the phone yesterday because we were talking about some some deep stuff and uh she was like and i'm praying for you i'm, I'm always praying for you i just want you to know that kill so that's that's beautiful like she's giving me you know skills and things that i can do you know as far as habits that i can do but also along with my habits of my faith and my righteousness as well and then also still praying with me too so uh that's so important uh you have so many uh you know leaders that are believers that are juggling a lot. You know what I mean? They're juggling a lot. And, you know, because I, I tell people all the time, even with me preaching, um, I'm, I'm not out here promoting like, oh, this is easy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, to, to, to have a sermon every Sunday, to also be on sets all week, to also be a, a father and a loving husband and all these different things all juggled up at once in writing and producing all this together. You need to be in the right mindset you need to be able to let go of certain certain things. You need to be able to uh, wake up with every day, preparing for your day. Uh, and that's the reason why I did um, the book Bless Mode as well, because I wanted to show people how to prepare for your day uh, with the Lord and with the right mindfulness as well. Yeah, I think there is a temptation for people to believe that even if you walk in strongly in your faith, that you you know, are shielded from issues and problems and despair. But 
your faith is there to just help you better deal with these things and to and to continue your trust and relationship with God. I know that, you know, you suffered a loss recently. One of your good friends, uh, Coolio, um, who recently passed. What will you remember most about Coolio? Because I know you all were friends for many, many years. Yeah, man, you're talking about that was, you know, my first like sitcom. And he was already on all that. Um, and we've had like a, a great time, you know, I'm very into hip hop, you know, I was, a, am still, a, you know, I still rap any now, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, to be in the hip hop at such a young age, growing up in Chicago, break dancing and, you know, graffiti, all that stuff. And then listening to Coolio. And then now I'm acting in front of him in a good burger sketch. And, uh, he's speaking to me about hip hop. We're joking. And this friendship continued all the way up until now. It was such a beautiful thing. You know, uh, last time I talked to him, I was doing a uh, a pilot for uh, a new podcast and um, he came on to be one of the contestants on there, a celebrity guest. Um, and, you know, he was overseas. And so it was super early where he was at, but he was telling me, he was like, yo, Kel, I heard you was doing this. I'm going to show up for you because I love what you're doing. I love how positive you're being and I want you to stay that way. And I had no idea that was going to be the last time that, you know, I actually spoke to him. But I can say that um, he's always been the same, you know, for me, you know, with my friendship with him, he's always had a joy about him and making people laugh. He always had a joke, always had a funny story because he'd been in the business for so long. Uh, and so that's what I remember, you know, the most. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find out that he passed? I was literally uh, having dinner with the family uh, and my phone started blowing up. And it was just like, boop, boop, boop. And I'm like, yo. And people are like, you heard? You heard what happened? And I'm like, yo, what is everybody talking about? And and then, of course, TMZ popped up. And then it said, you know, Coolio went to be with the Lord. And I was just like, yo. I immediately started praying, you know, praying for his family. And then that's when all the, you know, the calls started rolling through, you know. And I just thought about, I really had to think about uh, all the joyous, you know, moments that uh, I had with him and shared with him, you know. Yeah, you've been through so many uh, ups and, and downs. What do you think you learned more from the the sort of success, uh, whatever your idea of success is, or maybe some of the setbacks? I have a saying where I say uh, there's no mistakes, just lessons. You know what I mean? And uh, I look at that because so many times, and this was something that I used to do, if I went through something or if someone did something, I would just harp on it. Like, <laughs> and just be like, yo, why, if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened. If that didn't do that, and blah, blah, blah. And so, but then uh, when I started to say, hey, Lord, your will, not my will, and I'm on this faith adventure, I'm on this journey. And we, you mentioned it earlier saying like, you know, some uh, believers have to understand it. You're not just free from troubles. You know, it says that in the word of God, you're gonna have troubles but know that I bring you through them all. And the key word in there is the through, the through process. Like he's bringing you through. So what do you do within that time? And for me, prevailing through hard times, going through hard time and having prayer, I keep a prayer book. Uh, I also keep a, a, a prayer journey of prayers that I had when I was going through something and I go back so I can be reminded of how God brought me through it. I have one where I'm here in my office. I have one where it was tears 
literally you could see it on the notes of me praying for something uh, that I found bro- breakthrough in, you know, years later. And I could look back and go, man, God still, he was faithful in, in giving me grace through that time. And those are the things that I, I've learned. Those are things that I've learned. Those are things that I am so grateful for. And it's not the like, oh, the, the, you know, the success of the careers and the things of that nature. No, I, what I'm joyous about is seeing others finding that love and letting go of uh, things that set them back or um, anger, hurt, regret, all those things and just walking in joy and having peace no matter what. That's, that's important to me. So as you know, when you look around what's being produced out of Hollywood, nostalgia is playing very big right now. (laughs) It said a lot of us want to remember some of our favorites from childhood or even from young adulthood, I would say overall. And as you know, there's so many people that have a great affection for uh, you and Keenan. And I'm wondering what that affection means to you now i mean maybe when you were going through it i mean you had to go through some ups and downs in terms of like processing it all but what does it mean to you now because i'm sure so many people on a daily basis run up to you and say you were a big part of my childhood and oh you taught me this and oh i learned this and all of that what does that mean to you it's so humbling uh it's so beautiful i was talking to keenan about that where we literally are like, man, the the joy that people feel and that they have when they talk about Good Burger and when they talk about Keenan and Kel, um, the the people that we meet that started their careers based off us, you know, deciding to do these characters and these sketches, it's such a, it's a, I'm always still in awe of of how that goes. I was just talking to my mom yesterday because you know when Keenan spilled the beans about Good Burger too. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to we, talk about that in a moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, with him doing that, and I, I hit him up, I was like, yo, you tell him, okay, let's go. Let's let everybody know. But um, it's just the beautifulness in people, you know, having tears and, and hitting, throwing up comments and saying how they were when they saw the first one, how excited they are about the new one. It's a beautiful journey. And, and, and it also makes me also look at the fact that, yo, like, there was a point where I was going to take myself out of here. That's crazy. You know what I mean? And so it's now looking at it and people going like, you know, uh, I'm so excited about Good Burger 2. I have my own memories of all of it. But then at the same time, when they look at my journey, they might be going through something too. And now they could watch this film knowing who I really am, my truth, my story. And then even with their story and their triumphs, we can help them, you know, even through Good Burger too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that's a beautiful. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think Ed, Ed is kind of like, he's one of those characters, man. That you know, all the characters that I've played uh, is so deep that he just keeps going. It's like five year olds are literally having Good Burger themed uh, parties. And are dressed up. And I'm like, yo, you weren't even born in 94 when I came up with this, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's uh, it's such a beautiful thing to still be doing it all these years. Yeah. And I think people are also, it's very heartwarming for people to see that you and Keenan are still friends and in each other's lives. Um, what was it like for you to navigate that friendship? Because I'm sure you've seen this a million times in Hollywood before where you have people, because I say this being in 
television as long as I have. It's like there are your favorite anchors that you see on TV that cannot stand each other when they leave that anchor desk. All right. And I'm sure in Hollywood you have seen plenty of actors who work together. They might produce great movies and shows and hate each other. So from your perspective, what do you think was key in you and Keenan as you guys went through your own individual career journeys? What was key and central to you all maintaining the friendship throughout whatever journey each of you were on? It was allowing the process of, you know, understanding, you know, um, in conversation was key, you know, because you're talking about we were put together um, kind of like a, a unit, you know, within this sketch show. A lot of people thought like we came in together, auditioned it on these things, but we met each other on the show and it grew to uh, a friendship. But as we, you know, went through adulthood, you know, he went his way, I went my way. Uh, but something that we did see within this is that negative talk from others that were saying things to him and people that were saying things to me. And then us not having a come together moment of, of both of us having a conversation about that. And so then when that happened, then we were already on our own journeys of life and career doing our own things. And I remember when we sat down, we had a real conversation, like a real, you know, homie conversation. We talked about that. We would never do that again. You know, we would really talk about um, whatever is going on within our lives. And when we did that, years ago. It's been awesome. It's been a beautiful friendship, you know, because now, because I told him in that conversation, I said, I don't care about none of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's about you as a person, bro. It's about you. I want to make sure that you're good. What's going on in your life? He agreed and said the same about me. Uh, we did a lot of talking about our journey, you know, outside of entertainment uh, us being the men that we are now uh, as adults, which was such a beautiful thing. And then ever since then, it's been, you know, text, calling, how you doing? I'm praying for you, all these different things. So when people see us, you know, do these things, they don't know, like, you know, they see us at the Emmys, they think like, yo, so Kel was just sitting there and he was just, <laughs> it's, it's like, no, we've been in constant conversation all the time. Um, and I was, I remember I was doing my book, uh, you know, uh, promoting my book, Prank Day, when he called me for the Emmys. And I was like, I'm there, bro. You already know. They were like, hey, you got to stay in your hotel room because we want to make it a surprise. And he was telling me how he wanted to do that. And like we always do, right before he started the show, uh, I was, you know, in the room waiting and everything, but I sent him a prayer and just said, hey, man, you about to kill it, bro. Like, let's, <laughs> let's go. I'm so proud of you because I remember these conversations. I remember these conversations, us being young and the things that we wanted to see happen. And now to see that, it manifests and that we are still homies. We are still friends. And because so many groups and people that have broken up because they didn't have those real conversations. I'm really thankful for that. So uh, when there was points of tension in your friendship, was that just being young? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, honestly, it really came down to maturity that need to happen, you know, uh, between the, you know, the, the both of us, you know, especially, uh, on my part, like you're talking about, we were teens, you know, we're coming up within this business and, you know, you even look at producers and, and writers when you're young and you look at that, this is my brother, this is my 
my family, I'm riding with this producer, riding with me forever. And then the show ends and then it's like, yo, hello. And they don't know. <laughs> they ain't picking up no phone. They ain't talking to you. You know what I'm saying? And then you start to navigate through life and you start to go, oh, this is a, this a gig. This is a job. You have to really reach out to make it become a bond and a friendship. You really have to do that as a cast member, as anything. So then that way it's not like, oh, this, these are just employees. You know what I mean? And so uh, I think through uh, the way that the Lord set it up for how it went, you know what I mean? And we let go of anything that was like, well, maybe he doing this because of this. Or he's saying he doing this because of this. And we decided to go, nah, let's talk. You know, because what was funny is that and I, this might be the time, first time I mentioned this through our relationship, but I remember we had a uh, friend of ours that passed away and that hurt us both. Like it, re- it really did. And we hadn't spoken in a while, uh, Keenan and I. And when that happened, we got on the phone and that really started the conversation even more of us talking about the realness of the relationship of our journey. You know what I mean? Outside of just career, just, you know, how, how are you? You know what I mean? And that was uh, really important for us, you know, and uh, that hurt us when, uh, when she passed away, but you know. Um, So let's talk about Good Burger 2. Where is it at now? Have you guys filmed it? Like what's going on? Here's the thing. We did the uh, table read uh, recently, about two weeks ago at Paramount. Uh, We have been you know, working on Good Burger 2 for a while. Uh, what was important to us is that the story is great. The script is great. We wanted people to feel like it's just as enjoyable as part one. Uh, I can say this, that it is. Uh, I can say that the script is amazing. Uh, we are super excited about it. What was crazy is that Brian Robbins, uh, you know, president of Paramount, he put us uh, in the same room where we read the original script and we had our first table read. Keenan and I totally forgot about this. We took that day. We were like, yo, I didn't even know we had a table read for Good Burger, the movie. I don't even remember this. But when I walked in and he walked in, it's crazy how Paramount has not changed this room, staying furniture, same table. But when we, when we walked in there, my mind literally remembered and I had this really emotional moment. You know, me and Kimi have both had these emotional moments. We did the same thing at Jimmy Fallon when we came together for Good Burger. And we, but it, it was again where I just, my eyes welled up and I was just like, yo, look at this, look at this journey. You know what I mean? Like, look at, look at this journey. And then we're just cracking up, falling on the floor. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about almost well, the math on it, but like 30 years, like 26 years. It's been a very, very long time. And it's beautiful that people are excited about it um, and having fun with it. And uh, we laughed through that whole script. So we, we hope that you all laugh through it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you, I mean, you're doing like so much and continuing to do the thing that you love, which is obviously acting. As you mentioned, you have your music uh, as well. And I know that for Christmas time, you have a movie coming out with uh, all I, I think it's called All I Didn't Want for Christmas with Loretta Devine and uh, Gabby Sidibe. So when you think about how you navigate your Hollywood career now, you know, in this state that you're in with enlightened faith and, and feeling uh, as if you know who you and firmly rooted in who you are, what does joy look like for you now in your career? Now, when I'm in my career, there's no 
fear fearfulness of anything or competition involved in anything. I think, you know, when you're in this business, it's all competition. I mean, you know, you know, in your field as well, you know, it's competition, people, you know, trying to do what they're doing and, you know, judging other, all these things. But now I'm always looking at it like, Lord, I'm just doing what you have given me, this talent that you've given me. I'm so excited to be on this set. Uh, you know, when I see actors now kind of complaining or (laughs) about stuff, you know, in a scene or whatever it may be, I'm just like, no, we we're here, you know, as a team, as a team effort to tell a story, uh, for that was on a, a writer's heart. You know what I mean? And we're coming together to tell this story, to change someone's heart as they watch it. You know what I mean? And so for me, I'm just proud to be, uh, on that journey and watch, where he takes me, like me and my wife are always talking about that. Like, yo, what's going to be uh, next for, you know, next year and where he's going to take you. And I'm just so surprised because we're always, you know, uh, you know, getting ready for the year before next and all those things. But we're always just so amazed at uh, where God takes me, even with my career, even with, uh, you know, movie opportunities, the people that reach out, uh, the projects that we put together, the projects that I put together that manifest. It's just awesome. And I'm looking at it through his eyes. That's what's awesome with that. Now I'm looking at things through the, you know, the eyes of uh, my heavenly father. So when I look at other actors and things like that, there's this instant joy. Now, even with Gabby, uh, you know, our friendship grew just as far as like just, you know, conversation within the script and what we're going to do with these characters. But then just through life, you know what I mean? Just the the conversation in life and our life journey and things like that. Uh, I think that's so that's so awesome. And it's a funny movie. That's (laughs) It's a, it's a great movie. I'm, I'm excited about I mean, to work with Loretta Devine, come on. Like, That's pretty major. Yeah. She kept telling me not to call her a legend, though. Really? Uh, she got mad. <laughs> she said, yo, that mean I'm old. I was like, no, it don't. No, it don't. <laughs> now, because of of your your faith walk and, and, and how deeply entrenched you are, have you had to draw different boundaries in your career now? I mean, just in life, outside of career, uh, boundaries are important. You know what I mean? That's just, just is literally what it is. Um, I've had to learn to set certain boundaries for, uh, you know, certain people, certain things, certain habits, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? And uh, within my career, I take it to the Lord first before I, you know, my manager hits me up or my agent and says, hey, this is the role. I read it and then I take it to my Lord first and pray about it. Then I take it to my wife and we talk about it because, you know, we are on one accord. And then I call my manager and I call my agents. <laughs> and then I get their get their opinion and then they get their opinion on it. But uh it's really like, what can I get out of this character as far as like what's the story? You know, how can it reach someone? Uh what journey do they go through? Because I remember when I first started my faith walk, I was passing up stuff. Like in the beginning, like way back years ago, I was like, oh, I can't do that. They drank it. Oh, I can't do that. They blah, blah, blah. But then I started to go, well, wait, well, what happens within the journey? What happens within the story? You weren't always perfect. And you learned how to uh, now follow the Lord and make righteous decisions. And so within this story, how can it help someone else? And that helped me be able to go, oh, this is a character. This is a character that I'm playing to show a story, to help someone. I mean, how many times have a movie, you know, helped someone, you know, or, or made them feel joyful. And uh, like I said, it's all ministry. So uh, I look at it like that. So now I'm just, you know, open to many different 
uh, roles and I have been able to play uh, many different roles and I'm uh, excited about that. <laughs> yeah. You alluded to this earlier and I'm wondering like how it actually played out that you know, some people, maybe not you yourself, or maybe yourself, this this was a thought that as you became more vocal about your journey as a Christian, that that might shut off some opportunities. Nothing you were turning down, but some entities might look at you and say, nah, he probably wouldn't want to play this because I, I know where he is and I know, you know, what his faith is and this is not going to work. Have you seen that any indication of that? Here's the thing, which is really, uh, really weird. That was... At the beginning of it, that was in just in my head, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, and I think that happens to uh, a lot of believers and, you know, hearing hearsay and all these different things like they ain't going to let you in. They ain't going to do this. It's so crazy is that with me being on uh, sets with this faith walk, uh, the opportunities that have been opened. You know, a lot of opportunities, a lot of people, I feel like I'm working, like if you go to my MD and you look at my work uh, and you see the journey when I started like, you know, changing my life around uh, in 2008 and all these things, you start seeing all these career paths and things that have been happening. It's been beautiful. You know what I mean? And uh, it definitely has been awesome. And I feel like that is actually my calling because when the Lord told me to preach, he said, uh, I want you to preach, but I also want you to stay in the entertainment business because you've seen the things in the entertainment business and they need you as well as you showing your talents and showing that you can do both. And it's not like when I step on set, I'm just like, let me tell you about Jesus. That's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. It's through, it's through my actions uh, and me just uh, being a joy on set. Everyone loves a, uh, to have a joy on set and the cast be in a joyful <laughs> mood because you're going to be with these people for three or four months uh, within a film and attitudes and craziness is, is you know, an ego is not something that any of us want. You know what I mean? So uh, having a, you know, a carefree, joyful heart that is of God uh, always works on set. So before I get you out of here, uh, Kel, there's a game I play with every guest who appears on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Uh-oh. And it is now your turn to play this game. That's right. I have a feeling you will do quite well because you have such a, a fun personality, but it's a game that's called This or That. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. Or you can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this. I give you two choices. You pick one. And this is where the controversy always happens. <laughs> Just so you know. Okay. Okay. All right. Which one will win a title first? The Bulls or the Bears? I'm hoping you still have some of your Chicago roots in you. <laughs> of course. I love Chicago. Who will win first? Uh, I would say the Bulls. Okay. All right. Uh, even though, look, Justin Fields looks great this year for the Bears. So I'm not saying it's happening this year, but there is a little <laughs> bit of hope, I think, for, for uh, Bears fans. Sugar on grits or salt on grits? Salt and pepper. <laughs> salt on grits. I feel like sugar on grits is just, you. it's, it's oatmeal at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's cream of wheat. Listen, I know, I know you're a man of faith, and I've said this to many, those who do love grits. If you like sugar on your grits, you're just a heathen. It's just what it is. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that's, just, that's just the end of the day. Um, Fantastic Voyage or Gangster's Paradise? Wow. I'm going to say, because a lot of people probably think I would say Gangster Paradise, but uh, Fantastic Voyage. It has a special place for me in my heart. I remember being in Chicago, uh, seeing him on Vibe magazine, and it said, you know, Fantastic Voyage on there. 
me be going to, you know, CVS High School, shout out, what up y'all, Cavaliers, Chicago, <laughs> me being up there, you know, rapping and we, you know, look at Vibe Magazine and saw Coolio in there. So yeah, I'm gonna say Fantastic Voyage. <laughs> uh, Fresh Prince or Martin? Oh, you wild. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, oh, you gonna make me really choose between them? I'm gonna make you really choose. <laughs> Ooh, love will, but I'm gonna say Martin. I'm gonna say Martin. And the only reason reason why I say Martin is because if you look at my comedy and my physical comedy, you see a lot of Martin in there. I still watch his stuff today. Uh, his physical comedy is is amazing. Shout out to Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Well, I I mean I would probably say I watch both all the time because they're obviously they're both syndicated and heavy and strong syndication. I think Fresh Prince may have been a more well-rounded show, but the highs on Martin were so high. Like I don't think Fresh Prince ever quite got as high, you know, just, it's just, you, you, there are certain episodes of the Fresh Prince that you know, like everybody of course knows about, you know, why they don't want me Uncle Phil and all like in different episodes. But with Martin, you just say certain things. You'll be like the Biggie episode, the Varnell Hill episode. Like you just know, like these are the highs were so incredibly high that I think those are kind of hard to beat. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would definitely pick both, but being that I had to do it, I would definitely say Martin, you know, and they, they took a lot of risk on that show, which is great. You know what I mean? As far as like, yeah. I mean, when they went on that vacation and they were fighting that little. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Fighting that little whatever. I mean, but you're, you're so right about Martin's physical comedy because yeah. that, and when you think about when um he was Dragonfly Jones, like his physical comedy was insane. It was really very good. So I'm with you. <laughs> and uh, of course, I had to save the most difficult question for last, and that is Good Burger or All That. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Yes. I'm going to make you make the choice. <laughs> and I know it's a bit unfair because obviously you have one that was a, a very occult classic as a movie, but then you had a show that was a cult classic of a show. But here's the thing. You know what I mean? Because you did you you didn't specify. You didn't say Good Burger the movie. So being that good, oh, being, you're right. Being that Good Burger started on all that. We can just say they all together. So we could we could say all that because because <laughs> Good Burger started on all that, and that's how we you know we got the movie. You know what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> you know what. That was real slick. That was very, very slick of you. I I applaud you. I applaud you for that. <laughs> Extremely slick. I, I think I may have been outsmarted there. I didn't think that would. I should have specified. I meant the movie, <laughs> not the skit. Well, listen, Kel, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And, you know, when I told people that I was sitting down with this conversation with you, I, I just cannot tell you the number of people who immediately reflected on their childhoods. And so I did hear about every episode episode of all that from them and I was like oh clearly you all were very into it and so I, I got to watch it too but it wasn't as connected to my childhood because unfortunately I'm a thousand years old so I knew the good burger and beyond versions because yeah I was already in college when it when it happened <laughs> for you unfortunately so but yes I want to thank you just for taking this time with me and I really appreciate all the things that you're doing and, and just keep walking in your faith not that I need to tell you that because you are walking very strongly in it so thank you thank you uh, I love what you do I'm a fan you know I watch I listen uh, thank you for having me on the show that's this is awesome <laughs> yeah 
My man Kale is getting out of here, but y'all know what's coming up next. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Forgive me for being a little late with the following message, but the Lord really put this message on my heart. Can y'all please stop disrespecting Thanksgiving? Because fuck it, I'm bothered. Now, I know we have somehow become a society where it's acceptable to start putting out Halloween items in July, but the lack of respect for Thanksgiving is just bothersome as I am the president of Thanksgiving Hive. It's my favorite holiday. So I was deeply, deeply perturbed when a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, before most of us had even picked the right turkey, had even selected the right collard greens, there was Christmas decorations in the store aisles. Now, many of my neighbors were complicit. They had their Christmas lights up well before that first slice of glazed ham was even carved. I was seeing nonstop ads about Christmas sales. I clutched my imaginary pearls and shrieked to the heavens. God, why has thou forsaken me? This is treacherous behavior. Thanksgiving has earned the right for y'all heathens not to trample all over its existence because y'all so damn excited about getting 20% off a blender. Thanksgiving has given us so much bloated stomachs and elastic pants, incredible naps, full bellies, mac and cheese touching collard greens and yams and pure deliciousness. Six weeks of leftovers, the day after leftover plate, just endless greatness. So next year, when it comes to Thanksgiving season, which commences after Halloween is officially over, I expect the aisles to be filled with them corny ass paper turkeys, potpourri or whatever else people use to decorate on Thanksgiving. And that may or may not be a thing, but I don't care. Thanksgiving deserves its own place. Y'all better make a canned cranberry pyramid display in all these stores. Thanksgiving is reclaiming its time. Stay unbothered. Time to break you off with the Friday. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Hit you with the spice that I offer. Fuck it, I'm bothered. My word, how I live, you don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Christina Tapper is our head of content. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Ashley J. Hobbs is our creative producer. Rich Burner is our head of network production. And Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. And project manager is Jess Borson. Our theme, Word of the Week, and Fuck It, I'm Bothered tracks were written and performed by Brandon Lowe, produced by Lucas Fry and Alexander Hitchens. This or that music, the choice is yours, revisited by Black Sheep, written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc., on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. This sound like theme music. She dropped word of the week. It's best to use it. Church. 
Unbothered, never losing. Jamel asked this or that. Get to choosing. Pick one. Child of 7'5 and 21. Wave goodbye to 45. Bye bye. Don't make me tell you 511 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word. How I live it. You don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it. My word. How I live it. You don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it.